Turn in your Bibles to the book of Jude. Uh, just a page or two, it'll be in your Bible. So Revelation, it's just before Revelation, and you'll find it there. Last Sunday, uh, I did preach from the very beginning of the book of Jude. We looked at the first four verses, and the con- it sets the context for what, what Jude is speaking about. There are false uh, teachers who have crept in, he says, crept into the church. And so because of that, he has this appeal that he gives to them. We found that in verse 3. He says, to contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. So contend for good theology, because good theology is the foundation of our faith, of our experiencing of extending faith within our lives is the faith that was delivered to us. So I said this, I said, churches decay and dissolve when they lose their hold on and commitment to the truth of God's word. It's that important. Or to say it this way, why is it necessary to contend for the faith? Well, the health and very continued existence of the church is at stake. So that was last week. Now I'm going to skip over the the middle part and we're going to the end. And actually today I'll be looking at verses 20 to 21 and then 24 to 25. Now, in the context of dangers posed by these false teachers, Jude ends this short letter by focusing on how Christians can make it safely to the end. In the midst of of all the turmoil uh, of these false teachers coming in and disrupting the flock, how can you be sure that you'll make it to the end, that you will survive in your faith? So that's what we'll be looking at this morning. Now, I'm going to be drawing a significant amount of my sermon from a sermon that was preached actually by John Piper. Uh, He preached it at Together for the Gospel, that conference, in 2012. If you want a longer and uh, much better uh, presentation of the sermon that I'm going to preach this morning, just go to T4G. Uh, .org and look for the conference at, uh, on 2012, and you'll find it there. I'm preaching it because I knew I wanted to preach these verses, especially verses 24 to 25. And as I did that, my thoughts kept going back to that marvelous sermon I heard at that, at that conference. Uh, I have been significantly inspired by that sermon. And I can identify with John as he preached that sermon, as John Piper uh, preached that sermon, and he extended to us an insight into his struggle of faith, his struggle with sin. And I thought, that's me. I can identify with this man. Uh, Probably one of the verses that I can uh, identify with the most is uh, Romans 7.24, where it says, Wretched man that I am. So I'm in awe, as John was as he preached, that I've made it this far in my faith. That as I look at the end, that I can say that I have, I have survived. All the junk that's in my life, all the struggles that are within my life, that God has sustained me all these years. Not perfectly, but sustained me, held me, kept me kept me from making shipwreck of my faith. So the question arises for me and for you that can identify with that, what does it take? What accounts for that kind of sustaining? Well, we find that in Jude 24 and 25. 
Jude 24 and 25 is a, a doxology. Doxology, doxa meaning praise, logos meaning word. So a doxology is simply a word of praise. A doxology is an outburst as we find them in scripture. As theology is going along, we find doxologies erupt because it's an outburst of praise in relation to the greatness of God. Maybe as you hear the word doxology, you think of the doxology that those of us who have been in the church for a long time would sing on a regular basis at a church service. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise him all creatures here below. Praise him above ye heavenly host. Praise Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Amen. That's a doxology. But in scripture we find doxologies over and over again. A couple to consider. Galatians 1, 3 to 5. It says, Praise to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age, according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. That's a doxology. Or Second Timothy 4.18. The Lord will rescue me from every evil deed and bring me safely into his heavenly kingdom. To him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. That's a doxology. And so when we come to the end of Jude, we have a doxology. And it says this. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his great glory with great joy to the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ, our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time and now and forever. Amen. Now here's how, there's a way that this doxology works, and it's the way that we're going to examine it. Here's how this doxology works. It refers to something that God is doing and will do. So it presents that to us. And after it does that, it ascribes attributes to God that account for those actions. Here's what God is doing, here's what God will do, and here are the attributes of God that underpin that, that create that. So, it's an awareness of those two parts of this doxology that we'll look at it today. So, starting in verse 24. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy. So here in verse 24, we have what I saw, talked about. We have this, this declaring of something that God is doing and will do. So the first part of 24. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling. To keep you from stumbling. To keep a person who has come to faith from losing that faith. One of the ways we talk about the, that theology is eternal security. That my faith lasts forever till eternity. The way I, I prefer to talk about it is... The perseverance of the saints. That all true believers will endure to the end. All believers are then kept. We saw that in verse 1 last week. It says, Jude, a servant of Jesus Christ, the brother of James, to those who are called, beloved in God the Father, and kept for Jesus Christ. So God is able to keep you. So that you endure, so that you persevere to the very end. 
But there's that word able. Now, the, the word able is a form of, of a Greek word that we get dynamite from, that dunamis. It's a form of that word. So able is also powerful. It's mighty. So God is able. He's powerful. He's mighty to keep you, to hold on to you. But you might say, well, he's able. But, but will he actually do it? Will he actually keep me from stumbling? So in order to answer that question, we have to understand the first question is to consider God's will and God's intent. He's able to do it, but does he want to do it? Is that his will? Is that his intent to do it? John 6.37 says, All that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. That's the intent of God. That's the will of God. Or skip down just a verse to John six thirty nine to 40. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should, not lose, I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. So the will of God is to hold on to you. Here in Jude, then, we have the assertion that God is able to accomplish his will. He doesn't just have the will to do it, but he's, he's impotent to make it happen. When he says will, he says, everything I've said about what I plan to do, I want to do, I desire to do, I am able to do. My hand is not short for accomplishing that. So we find this. God intends to keep us from falling away from faith. And God is able to keep us from stumbling, from falling away to faith. And God will keep us from stumbling and falling away from faith. This is a common theme in the New Testament. Hebrews seven twenty-five. It says, consequently, he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. Or Philippians 1.6, and I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. Now, move on to the second half of verse 24. Starting at the beginning, now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy. Here, that word able connects not just to keep you from stumbling, but he's also able, his power also brings about this. It's connected with blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy to present you that way. To present is to make you stand. It's to set you up. So, this is the opposite of stumbling. He says, not only do not stumble away, you will actually stand in the very presence of God. Before the presence, it says, of his glory. It says you'll do, you'll do that blameless. The word there in Greek is anamas. It can be translated faultless. So, when do I stand faultless? Where do I stand faultless? I stand faultless before the presence of his glory. So this is looking forward. 
This is looking forward to the day when Christ will return and will, when I will be judged. And we need to understand our, our salvation in terms of three tenses. There's three tenses of salvation. You have been saved from the penalty of sin. When you come to faith in Christ, that takes place, your justification. And then you are being saved from the power of sin. So not just the penalty of sin is taken care of, but the power of sin is being eradicated. So there's a new power in the believer to overcome sin. Not perfectly, but progressively the power of sin being eradicated. But there's more. You will be saved from the very of presence, the very presence of sin. 1 Peter 1.5 says, Who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. That's that third part of your salvation. Saved from the very presence of sin. This is when I will not just be declared faultless because of the blood of Jesus. Praise God that that is true. But it's more than that. This is on the day when I will actually, actually be blameless. I will actually be faultless. That is glorification. In the very presence of God, sin totally removed. No stain of it on me anymore. No struggling to overcome it anymore. None of the effects of it in my life or around me any longer. And in that day, I stand faultless. The hymn, My Hope is Built on Nothing Less, one of the verses says this, When he shall come with trumpet sound, Oh, may I then in him be found, dressed in his righteousness alone, faultless to stand before the throne. But there's more. It says, with great joy. In Scripture, when the full presence of God begins to be manifest, when God shows up to, to men in the, in the Old Testament... We find this trauma, we find this, this terrifying experience. We find it all the way in the New Testament when we look to Revelation and we see Jesus appearing and showing himself to, to John. Why? Because there's still remaining sin. An awareness of sin makes a person in the, in the presence of a holy God fall to their knees as, as if dead. But someday... But someday we will stand in the presence of God blameless. And instead of fear, there will be great joy. Great joy. Exuberant joy, one translation says. Whatever joy you have ever had, and you've had those experiences, I'm sure, in worship, where you just sense the presence of God and joy just welled up in you. Whatever great moment of joy you have had or will have in this life will be far surpassed at that moment when there will be no taint of sin and you will stand in the presence of God faultless. God keeps all those he calls, bringing them all the way home. 1 Corinthians 1, 8-9 who will sustain you, it says this is God, who will sustain you to the end, guiltless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful by whom you were called into fellowship of his Son, Christ Jesus our Lord. 
He will sustain you. He's sustaining you now. He will continue to sustain you on this life. And he will sustain you to the end. Romans 8 verse 30. And those whom he predestined he also called. And those whom he called he also justified. And those whom he justified he also glorified. He says, well, that, that's, that's past tense. It's written in the past tense, not because it's already done, but because it's as good as done. In God's mind, in God's actions, you have already attained to that. So glorified in the past, not because it's already done, but because it's as good as done. It's certain to happen. Now, what is needed? That's the first part of the doxology. All of that. What is needed to bring that about? What's needed? What's needed to keep you from stumbling? What is needed to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy? Remember, here is where doxology works. It refers to something that God is doing and will do. So not a him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy. Okay, that's what he's doing. And then it describes the attributes of God that account for those actions. So what are they? Verse 25, to the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ, our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time and now and forever. Amen. Now, now that, that, that's a praise. That's a praise for the fact that God will keep you from stumbling. Praise God. Praise all those attributes of God because they are in place. So that's a praise, but it's also a declaration. It's a declaration of the attributes of God that account for God being able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless. So, so what's needed? What's needed to sustain me, to sustain you to the end, to present you before God? It requires glory and majesty and dominion and authority. Glory. This is the Lord in all the fullness of his brightness. It wraps around all the attributes of God. Feed into his glory. It requires majesty. This points to God's greatness and how worthy he is of honor. And dominion. This emphasizes God's rule over the entire creation. That everything is under his control. And authority This speaks to the authority of God to speak reality into existence and to carry out what he decrees. That's what's needed. That's what's needed to give me spiritual life. When I was spiritually dead, what was needed to bring life into me? When you were dead in your transgressions and sins, what did it take? What did it take when you were an enemy of God? What, was it, what did it take when you had no hope, as Ephesians 2 says? What, what did it take to bring you to life? It took glory and majesty and dominion and authority. And that's what it takes day after day to keep me in the faith. Well, John Piper likes to ask this question. I think it's a wonderful question to ask. It says, why will you wake up to be a Christian tomorrow? Why? What does it take to hold on to you? 
What's your answer to that question? Why, why can you be sure that tomorrow when you wake up, as you go to bed tonight praising Jesus, why will you praise him tomorrow? Why will you still believe in him tomorrow? The answer is this, because God will keep you. While you sleep, God is keeping you. His glory and dominion and majesty and authority will be at work in your life even as you sleep and then when you awake. And that's what it takes to bring me all the way home as well, all the way to glory. That's what it takes to present me blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy. It takes glory and majesty and dominion and authority. Now, in between verses about God keeping us, there's verses 20 to 21. Remember, in, in, in verses 20 and tw- 20, uh, in verses 1 and 24, we have this, you know, God kept and God is keeping. But we get to verses 20 to 21 and says this, But you, beloved, building yourself up in your most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God, waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. So it says, keep yourself. Now, now in, in this verse, there's one main verb, and then there's three participles. So we have to understand how the structure works. The main verb is this. It's keep. So keep yourselves in the love of God. That's the central assertion that's being called for. Keep yourself in the love of God. The other three are ways that you do that. They're participles. So participial phrases here. So building, building yourselves up in your most holy faith, praying, praying in the Holy Spirit, and waiting, waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. Now, so keep yourselves in the love of God. Here here we have the interplay of God's work and our responsibility, which is often seen in Scripture. These two things come together. Yes, God is the one supremely who keeps me. But he also says, now you keep yourselves. Philippians 2, 12 to 13 says this. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only in my presence, but much more in my absence. And here it is. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. You, you work out your salvation. You keep doing the work. Guess what? God God is the one who is working to bring out his will in your life. Those two things come together. Or 1 Corinthians 15.10. Here Paul is speaking. He says, but by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace towards me was not in vain. On the contrary, I, I worked harder than any of them. Though it was not I, but the grace of God that is with me says, I worked harder. Here's, here's, here's my responsibility to come along, Paul, and be able to say, I'm working at this. I'm striving at this. I'm applying myself to this. That's my part. But still understanding at the end of the day, what is it? It's God who's work, at work in me by his grace. Anything that gets accomplished is not primarily my work, although God uses that. And those two things come together. That's what we have here in Jude. God is working in you. God is keeping you. God will keep you. Now, you work 
yourselves. You keep yourselves. And then Jude gives us three components. Okay, keeping ourselves in the love of God. How do we do that? How does, how does that take place? Well, it's really very simple. First of all, building yourself up in your most holy faith. Now, we talked about subjective and objective faith last time, and we see that we have the faith at the beginning of this book. That's objective. That's the, the content of doctrine that we have, that we hold on to. But here, faith is a subjective aspect of faith. It's the faith that I have, that I experience, that I exert. It's that faith. So what's going on here is a call to, to actually apply more of what I know about the faith and exert my faith into it. Get stronger in faith, he's saying. Get stronger in exercising your faith. Believe more. Trust more. Rely more. So there's that part. And then, praying in the Holy Spirit. So praying in the Holy Spirit is the opposite of praying, you know, in the flesh, just my own thoughts. It's pushing into the presence of the Holy Spirit. It's praying with an awareness of the Holy Spirit. It's being dependent on the Holy Spirit as we pray. So to pray in the Holy Spirit, that is to pray with the conscious awareness of God's presence surrounding us and sanctifying us and our prayers. The spirit that illumines our minds and our hearts and engages our prayers. So that, that's praying in the Holy Spirit. So extend faith, act out faith, pray in the Holy Spirit, and then waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. And then we wait. We wait. We get, wait for God to, re, to respond to our faith, to our words of prayer. So putting it all together, how it works, how you keep yourself in the love of God, trust, trust in God's commitment to keep you in specific areas. And then pray for the application of that commitment in the details of life. Help me to trust, help me to follow, help me to obey, help me to be true. And then just wait, waiting for God to keep his commitment which obviously won't always come in the ways that we hope for, but waiting for God to show up. So again, I say to God, this is what you call me to do. This is what you call me to do and to be. And I am so inadequate, wretched man that I am. I'm struggling here. I am so weak. I need you to fulfill this. And here are your promises to me. And I'm trusting in them. I'm trusting that you will act. So I'm seeking your glory. I'm seeking your majesty. I'm seeking your authority. I'm seeking your dominion. And now I'm waiting. I'm waiting for you to show up. Now finally, this thought. When God does the work of keeping you, when God does the work, when you've done all that God calls you to do, you're extending yourself, And you know what God has promised. When God does the work of keeping you, he is fulfilling the new covenant. He's fulfilling the new covenant. Jeremiah 32, 40. I will make with them an everlasting covenant. And I will not turn away from doing good to them. I won't stop doing good to them. And I will put the fear of me in their hearts that they may not turn 
from me. That's a keeping covenant. The new covenant is this. I have a people that I'm going to die for. And I'm going to move into their lives. And I'm going to take out their heart of stone. And I'm going to place within them a heart of flesh. And I will not let them. I will not let them make shipwreck of their faith. Ever. Ever. The keeping of you was purchased for you in the new covenant. Your new birth was purchased for you. Your perseverance was purchased for you. Your glorification was purchased for you. All of this was purchased by the blood of Jesus. So consider John Jude 24, 25 again. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy to the only God our Savior through Jesus Christ our Lord. Be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time, now and forevermore through Jesus Christ our Lord. His glory and majesty and dominion and authority are working for your salvation because of the shed blood of Jesus Christ. Psalm 121. I lift up my eyes to the hills. From where does my help come? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. He will not let your foot be moved. He who keeps you will not slumber. Behold, he who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your shade on your right hand. The sun, uh, the sun shall not strike you by day, nor the moon by night. The Lord will keep you from all evil. He will keep your life. The Lord will keep your going out and your coming in from this time forth and forevermore. Let me pray over you. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy. To the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ, our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time and now and forever. And all of God's people said, Amen. Amen.